0: Are you going to be teaching kindergarten next year for the first time? Or do you know someone who is teaching kindergarten for the first time can be overwhelming and maybe you're feeling unsure of where to start. Well, look no further. I have the ultimate survival guide for new kindergarten teachers. I created it based on all the things that you need to rock teaching kindergarten next year. All the things I wish I had known as a brand new kindergarten teacher, get your mindset ready to tackle the challenges of kindergarten Learn how to set up your classroom for success and master key strategies for teaching effectively. Plus, prepare for the first week of school like a pro. Don't miss out on this free guide and please share it with your new teammates and friends who are moving to kindergarten next year. Get ready to embark on an incredible journey in kindergarten education with me as your virtual teammate cheering you on. Download the free guide today at www.kindergartencafe.org new teacher. That's kindergartencafe.org slash new-teacher. Welcome to the kindergarten team. Hey, teacher friends. Welcome back to another episode of Kindergarten Magic. Today we're talking about the magic of life cycles in kindergarten, which is one of the main ways that we study science is through a focus on life cycles and learning about how living things change and grow and what they need to live and all the things that are involved in that. So let's get started. You're listening to the Kindergarten Cafe Podcast, where kindergarten teachers come to learn classroom-tested tips and tricks and teaching ideas they can use in their classroom right away. I'm Zeba, creator and founder of Kindergarten Cafe, and I help kindergarten teachers with everything they need from arrival to dismissal in order to save time, work smarter, not harder, and support students with engaging and purposeful lessons. I'm here to cheer you on through your successes and breakthroughs and offer support and resources so you never have to feel stuck or alone. Ready to start saving time and reducing your stress, all while using effective and purposeful lessons that students love? Let's get started. As I said, life cycles is one of the main ways that we teach science, at least in my class. It focuses on a lot of the standards for science, on thinking about what living things need to live and grow and how they change over time and how we can help take care of living things, habitats, all of that is involved with life cycles. But there is just nothing better than having children observe a life cycle right in front of you. Talk about kindergarten magic. They watch as the living things grow and change from different stages in the life cycle. And to see them react to those changes is the best part of teaching science, I think. Seeing their eyes light up with wonder at the changes happening right in front of them. So I think that when you are teaching about life cycles, the more that you're able to bring in actual objects, actual living things for them to observe, the better. So some of the life cycles that we do in my class are ladybugs. We get them from a company called Insect Lore, and they provide the ladybugs that they come as larvae, and then the larvae grow into pupa, which is sort of like a chrysalis cocoon kind of thing for the ladybug. And well, technically a chrysalis and cocoon is a pupa. It's just they call it something different for butterflies. But anyway, the ladybug larva become the pupa and then they watch as the pupa become the adult ladybugs. They hatch out of the pupa. Um, Some classes do caterpillars as well. I have done those in the past. We also do Frogs, so the kids see them grow from eggs to tadpoles with all no legs, back legs, front legs, into froglets before we release them back to the pond. We also, of course, do plants. And that's a really easy one for anyone to bring into the classroom. Watching something start out as a seed and grow into a plant is pretty awesome for kindergartners. And finally, we have chicks and that is my all-time favorite <laughs> favorite science unit, favorite unit of all, and it's definitely the one that the kids remember for years to come. The, they'll come down in fifth grade near graduation, and they'll come to me and say, remember when we had chicks? That was so cute. That was so fun. So that's what the kids remember. I actually grew chicks in my classroom as a kindergartner myself, and I remember at that point, we actually were able to take turns taking the chicks home and I vividly remember having the chicks in our (laughs) mudroom chirping away getting you know chick poop everywhere and just they were just so cute and fluffy we don't have kids do that anymore in our school but it's still I think the best week ever when we have the chicks hatch and they're in our school for just a week now but it's still the best. Uh, So those are our different life cycles that we have, but all of the life cycle units, no matter what the living thing is that you're able to have in your classroom, I have certain key things that I do in each, in, in every unit. So the first thing that I like doing is starting with a surprise every time. I always start out by not telling my students what the object is that's in front of them. For example, with the seeds, I don't tell them it, they're seeds. And there's they have a certain idea in their head of what a seed looks like. So right away, the sunflower seed, they say, oh, yeah, that's a seed. I know that. But then there's other seeds that they don't know what those are. And so that's very interesting to see what they know and what they don't know and what, what they are assuming about What the objects in front of them. Same thing with the frog eggs. I do not tell them that they're frog eggs at first. The ladybug larva, I don't tell them it's larva at first. And I watch them start to observe what they're seeing, talk about what they're noticing, and they ask a lot of questions. And that's what scientists do. So that's why I wanna give them the opportunity to get really excited about the living thing that's in front of them and to ask lots of questions. And we talk about how we can figure out our answers. Well, one way scientists figure out answers is from observing. And another way they might figure out answers is from reading books and finding out what people have already written about this object. So lucky for my students, I just happen to have some books on ladybugs or frogs or, you know, chickens. But they'll ask certain of the some of them will ask questions like, oh, I've seen this before. I think this is like an insect. Or I think this must be, you know, this might be turning into a fish or something. I might have seen it in the pond. And so you can go off of little things that they've said and steer them towards the books that will show them the right answers, or show them the wrong answers, however you want to do it. But Eventually, you'll show them the books that have the correct answer of what the object is in front of them. Uh, And often, I have at least one student that has seen this before, so they know exactly what it is. And that's sort of what we go off of is well, they think it's a tadpole, they think it's a frog egg. So let's look in a frog book and see if we can see a picture. Wow, this is what frog eggs look like. These are what are right in front of us. I think these must be frog eggs. How will we know? Well, we'll watch and observe as they hatch and grow, and we'll see if we're right. And so it's really building off of their observations and their knowledge that they're growing, as opposed to me saying, here are some frog eggs. We're going to watch them grow into tadpoles and frogs, and then we're going to release them. No, I want them to build that knowledge themselves through their observations. Speaking of observations, the reason I did a whole podcast episode a few Episodes ago on teaching observation skills is because every single science unit I do, I have students observing. I have them observe the changes that they see in the life cycle of the living thing in front of them. And each stage of the life cycle gets its own observational page. And they're expected to draw exactly what they see in front of them and to write down what they're observing and then talk about it with their peers or with the whole group. And it's a skill that gets better and better over time, but it is something that we have to keep working on of, you know, for example, the ladybugs that are growing, they often add in a background of like them on a plant or them on a leaf. And that would be lovely, but they're actually in what's something called a ladybug land. That's a piece of plastic And there is no leaf, so they shouldn't draw the leaf. We don't want to draw what we think they would like. We want to draw exactly what we're seeing. So it's a skill that takes lots of practice. But they get better and better with it. And it's really great to see their progress over time and to see how they're viewing the living thing and the life cycle stage that they're observing. But the fact that each stage gets its own special observation time and observation paper helps them to really understand the different stages of the life cycle way better than if I just sat in front of them and said, here's the first stage and here's the second stage. Now let's color it in in our book. And sure, I still do some coloring and cutting and gluing activities to show off what they're learning. But the deep understanding comes from the observation of the different life cycle stages. To add to that deep understanding, I have lots of nonfiction books that I have out in our science area with the objects, with the living things that kids love to look at while they are observing the objects because it helps build on that knowledge and build on their observations. And they really like being able to see the photographs zoomed in close of all the living things. And it's a great connection of literacy to science. So I highly recommend having the books available nearby wherever the students are observing. I also like to reinforce their learning of the life cycle stages with some fun emergent readers. And like I said, I do do some cut and paste uh, and coloring activities and all of these activities and the observation pages, they're all found in my science journals, which you can actually get as a bundle, or you can get a bundle of the pumpkin activities and a bundle of the chick activities that includes the emergent readers, all that stuff. So if you are doing life cycles with your class, I would encourage you to check those out because everything's just done for you. Everything's Everything you might need is right there. After we learn a couple of life cycles, then the students are able to start comparing what they've learned about life cycles and how, you know, the things that living things have in common when they grow and change. And so they start to see that really most life cycles start with the same sort of stages of embryo. So that would be like the egg or the seed and then the young being that sort of transforms into the adult. And then that adult reproduces and becomes back. We bring it, brings our life cycle back to the embryo. So some of the living things we see have some transformation in there, like the tadpole growing to the frog or the larva going through the pupa to become the adult. But they do all go through those similar stages of embryo, young being adult into reproduction. And they definitely like comparing all the life cycles, you know, especially, you know, with the ladybugs, they'll say, oh, it's the larva and then becomes the pupa. And then when we get to the frogs, they'll say, oh, it's kind of like the ladybug where they're changing into something else. They are starting as a tadpole and then it's becoming the frog. Or at the chicken, they'll notice that they started as an egg, just like the frog started as an egg and the ladybug started as an egg. And they'll notice all those similarities. So you can see that I absolutely love teaching science through the lens of different life cycles. And I do a bunch of different life cycles throughout the year. And I think that the most powerful way for... Students to learn about life cycles is to observe them themselves. So, whenever possible, bring in the actual learning to them and let them build their own knowledge through observations. And you can add on to that with nonfiction books and coloring and all of that fun stuff. But the real learning comes from the observations. If you have a favorite life cycle unit that you do with your students, I'd love to know about it. I'd love to hear what works really well for you. If you want to know more about one of the life cycles that I mentioned, check the links below for some helpful blog posts, but also just send me a DM and I can send the link to you. Just say, hey, you talked about ladybugs. Can you tell me more about how you do that in the class? And I'll send you the blog post right away. So I think it's time for the quote of the day. This is back when we're learning about oviparous animals. Which, if you are studying chicks, you know means <laughs> animals that lay eggs. And so a boy said, I don't lay eggs. Only if I was half chicken. Only if my back was chicken. Then he'd lay eggs. <laughs> what a what an image there. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave a review. Let me know how you liked it and share the episode with a friend to keep the kindergarten magic growing. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Kindergarten Cafe podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and resources, or just head straight to kindergartencafe.org for all the goodies. If you liked this episode, the best ways to show your support are to subscribe, leave a review, or send it to a friend. I'll be back next week with even more kindergarten tips. See you then.